Just like in real estate, they want that first deal to go absolutely perfect. That's not how real estate investing works. And I recommend to most people that are looking to get started in real estate investing. You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Welcome back, Right Club Nation, to the Right Club Podcast. It is Sarah Larby, and today I have a special guest, co-host Laurel Simmons, who is one of the four founders of the Right Club. Welcome, Laurel. Hi, Sarah. Nice to be here. I'm really excited. So Alfonso is in Mexico enjoying the sun, as we are unfortunately in some pretty cold, rainy weather today. But Laurel is subbing in, and I'm super excited because it is uh, your first time co-hosting. And, uh, and by the way, guys, Laurel did an amazing job with our interview today with Matt McKeever. But before we get into that, Laurel, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since we last heard from you. Well, we are, in terms of real estate, we're doing uh, rent to own, a new one, and we're also uh, jumping into student rentals. So that's kind of cool. A lot of learning there. And you know what? In real estate, there's always something to learn. So it's, it's keeping us busy. But as Matt will be talking or saying to us, it's all about the system. So uh, mm-hmm. setting up the systems will make the, real estate, or the, the, the student rental easier. I'm really enjoying the fact that spring is almost here. I'm watching the birds and I'm watching my tulips grow. And oh, please, just get a little bit warmer. <laughs> Absolutely. Just curious, where are you looking for the student rentals? We have an offering in a place uh, not very far from where we live in Niagara-on-the-Lake. It's for students at the Niagara campus of the, the Niagara-on-the-Lake campus of uh, Niagara College. Oh, wow. Very cool. It is something I've always thought about as well as I'm actually t- doing this podcast today from my cottage in Lakefield, which is pretty close to Peterborough. And Peterborough does have some good opportunities as well for student rentals. So started to look in that as well. But that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. For me, recently, I actually I put an offer in on a triplex in Simcoe, conditional, of course, on inspection and financing, because I wanted to secure it so that I didn't have to go into bidding more should it have come to that. And let's just put it this way, the inspection went horrible. Oh, <laughs> there was oh. some huge foundation issues. And just to fix all of the safety hazards, it would have actually probably cost a good 80 grand. So without having to do anything cosmetic. So this is why sometimes it's important to act quickly, but just to make sure that you don't act quickly without some ways that you can back out. So we ended up actually releasing the property. We were trying to negotiate the price down and we just didn't get to where we needed to be. So on to the next, but uh, it's one of those things I always say, play smart, but uh, if there's a really good deal, it's not gonna last long. If you wanna secure it, worst case scenario, you, you spend a little bit of money on the inspection. But the $400 that I spent on the inspection to save me $80,000 was definitely well worth it and a great opportunity to walk through with, uh, with the inspector and just to learn along the way. So- And leave the emotion out of it, right? That's the important oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm just looking for a few things. I mean, I'd love to get something up here, potentially another cottage. I I keep my options open within two or three different areas at this point based on where my other ones are located. And I, uh, I'm actively looking now. So it's, uh, it's quite exciting. So Matt McKeever in our interview, Matt, for those of you that are not aware, Matt is one of the co-founders of OREC, which we're going to talk about a big conference in London. He is also a full-time real estate investor, and he's only 34, which is pretty incredible. Owns about 60 units, loves the Burr method, which is actually my favorite method. When you buy a property, you renovate the property, you rent it, you refinance, and then you actually repeat, take your money and go on to the next one, and, uh, and you can scale up quite well that way. So Laurel, I know that Matt McKeever is also a longtime attendee of our Right Club and you guys have, uh, have spoken in the past. What is like one potential cool thing that uh, our listeners can look forward to in this interview coming up? There's so many, but I, I think one thing that struck me is that he really speaks about the fact that, the, well, he doesn't say it, but through his conversation, you understand that real estate is just a method for him to really do what he wants to do. And that's what I, t- I talk about all the time to people or talk about with them, because I think that's so important to understand that he likes the time and the freedom. When you have time and, and money freedom, you can do anything you want. And he likes to think. And when you think, you can create. And when you create, you grow. And you can help other people. And I think that's just 
so cool and so important. And that just came through in everything he said. It doesn't matter what we were talking about. It's how important that is to him personally and to his business and to the people he deals with. Absolutely. That is a great piece of insight. So I'm really excited. So why don't we get on with the interview and, and then we'll come back and recap. All right. Welcome, Matt, to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. Doing really well. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. So today we've got Laurel Simmons, who is our co-host. Alfonso is on vacation and I'm super excited to also have Laurel as a co-host. So welcome, Laurel. Thanks. It's great to be here. Excellent. So Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate investing. Sure. So I started real estate investing in 2010 at the age of 25. And at that point in time, I was working full-time as a CPA, working in public accounting, doing the nine-to-five life there, and then trying to build a real estate portfolio nights and weekends. I originally got started here in London, Ontario with student rentals. The reason I was attracted to student rentals was, like a lot of us, I was very focused on cash flow at the time, and student rentals were one of the best cash flowing producing assets that you could find in London, Ontario. So... Essentially dove into that with partners. So I uh, talked to my roommates into pooling our money together, buying a student rental property and essentially bought one a year for a couple of years until I kind of hit that five property limit that a lot of us are familiar with and then had to start getting a little bit more creative with my approach. Amazing. You, can I ask a question? Like how did you, yeah, how did yeah, your, yeah. Um, your students, how did the student, your, your partners, your, the original students that you were living with or partnering with, how did they react to this? Like what, what was their... You know, it's like, oh, this is cool, or are you nuts, or, or how did that? What was their original reaction, or their first reaction, and then, and then as it, you went along, how did that change, or did it change? Yeah. So when I first started investing with student rentals, I talked to one of my coworkers and one of my best friends into essentially partnering with me. We were living together at the time in a situation where I was essentially house hacking. So I just bought a student rental for myself. I moved into it and then had some buddies move in so that I could kind of create the living situation where I could live for free. I'm really focused on kind of the idea of financial independence and retiring early. And so the average Canadian spending usually 30 to 40% of their take-home pay on just their living expense, so just shelter. So I was really focused on getting that expense low for myself and then building up passive income. So I kind of reached out to two of my roommates. One of them was a CPA himself. Originally, he was like, I lived in student rentals. Why would I ever want to invest in student rentals? He's like, I know what bad students can do. I was a bad student. I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you, man. But I was like, run the numbers. And as CPAs, we're supposed to be very analytical, very numbers oriented. And he ran the numbers. I kind of gave him a spreadsheet I'd put together myself, just kind of documenting the mortgage pay down, as well as the cash flow that we could actually generate from that income property. And as soon as he ran it, he was like, I'm in. And so myself and Dave jumped into it with another partner, Joe. And at the time, thankfully, Joe was a bit more hands-on. So he was going through to be an electrician. So he had some of the, the hand skills, the labor skills that myself and Dave didn't necessarily have. So we were much more the numbers and the finance partnered with a more active partner and bought that student rental and then replicated it for a couple years afterwards. You know, it was really interesting we looked fairly young at the time for being 24, 25 and buying a student rental. So when we'd be showing the unit to potential tenants, to students, they'd often treat us like peers instead of landlords. And that was actually a great advantage because it kind of let us be a fly on the wall for when they're walking through the property. Our first income property had these really beautiful vaulted ceilings, but they also really attracted people that were kind of party oriented. So <laughs> we'd be walking through groups of students and they'd look and they'd be like, oh man, I love these ceilings. Like we could play volleyball in here. <laughs> and it was just really funny. They'd be like, oh man, like I think we can get like 200 people in here for a keg party. And it would just be like, okay, great. Well, that's great information to have in addition to just kind of the generic application. So it was a really fun, really interesting learning experience that allowed us just to uh, learn about income properties, rentals, and all, and even tenant management in a very short period of time. So we just kind of threw ourselves into it. Hadn't read a lot of uh, tactile guides or listened to a lot of podcasts or anything at the time. My mind wasn't in that frame. I was thinking just very lone wolf, do it yourself with kind of these two partners. So. Very cool. So now, how many properties now do you have? And you mentioned there is uh, originally the five, and then there was a hurdle that you were trying to get over. I believe that you've, uh, you've overcome that hurdle. And so what does your portfolio look like today? And how did you overcome the, the first five? 
Yeah. So my portfolio today is made up of, uh, you know, those first three student rentals, those first three to four student rentals that we bought together. And then after that, I kind of hit a hurdle that a lot of Canadians come across where once you get into the three to five or anything above five mortgages, you're often going to get a lot of pushback from A lenders. And so those are like the big five banks that most people are familiar with that most of us do our day-to-day banking with. And so again, at that time, I was very lone wolf oriented. So I didn't have a giant network of people to reach out to. So I essentially went to CIBC. That was the bank I was dealing with at the time. They told me there was no way to uh, get an additional mortgage unless I made more T4 income, more just personal active income. And rather than trying to find a solution to that problem, I just took that and ran with it. So I ended up actually quitting my job, getting a new job in a higher paying industry. So I left public accounting to go work for a a publicly traded pharmaceutical company in their finance division. And that allowed me to qualify for an additional mortgage. But again, even after I qualified for that one additional mortgage, I then hit the same barrier, which became very frustrating. That's when I started finally, like I found myself in this one argument with my banker at the time. And I was like, listen, I know there's people in Canada that have more than five properties. I've met them. This is possible. Why are you not telling me how to do this? And it wasn't necessarily his fault. What the more you grow in this real estate game and the bigger your network grows, you start to realize that most people are just doing their job. And so that person at CIBC or Bank of Nova Scotia or Bank of Montreal, wherever you bank, they're just given a set of rules and criteria to follow. And that's the only thing they know. They're not in the game or the habit of thinking creative or thinking outside the box. And so the problem was I was trying to find, you know, creative outside of the box answers from a very in the box institution, a very in the box employee of that institution. So I started kind of researching, reading, networking more, stumbled upon bigger pockets, kind of the idea of her investing and all that started just really mixing into a giant reference bank of information that I had, which allowed me to start really trying to speed up the velocity of my money. And so once I kind of solved the problem, how do I speed up the velocity of my money through Burr investing, as well as bringing on money partners, where I'm the active partner, that allowed me to grow up my portfolio to now, I believe we're at like 18 pins on geo. It works out to about 60 units total. So it's the wide range from single family homes up to a 20 unit parcel and kind of anything and everything between it just like most of us growing that portfolio was really just one property at a time you figure out that one problem solve it move on to the next and at the start i wasn't really growing my portfolio with any long-term plan or long-term vision which when you're in the trenches that's absolutely fine but long term as you want to say grow an empire it becomes much more important to start thinking two, three, five years out. And so once I quit my day job at the age of 31, and at that point in time, I'd only built up maybe seven or eight rental properties. It was just enough to get by, but I knew I'd figure out other other ways to make money or other ways to invest in real estate. Once I left that behind, I really started to just throwing myself completely into real estate investing, trying to meet as many people as possible, network as much as possible, just so I could find all the creative solutions. Because each time I'd meet a new successful investor, I'd learn at least one tip, one trick from them, but often a whole new strategy, a whole new technique of investing. And they'd found solutions to problems I hadn't even discovered yet, or they had solve problems I came up against in new novel ways. And so to me, what really allowed me to start growing my portfolio on a larger scale than just one property a year based off of Matt's money was meeting all these investors, trying to steal all their best ideas, pull them all together and then make it my own. And that's essentially what I've been doing for the last, it's actually coming up on three years now since I quit my day job. So just been running with it. Amazing. Hey, Right Club Nation, we'd like to take a short break from the podcast to introduce you to Ryan Carson, who is the leader and visionary at Carson Law. It's a firm based out of Burlington, Ontario, that provides legal services in the areas of residential and commercial real estate, corporate and business matters, estate planning, and intellectual property. Ryan has handpicked his legal and admin team who have developed an efficient process that can help with every aspect of the transaction. This includes acting on purchases, sales, refinances, receiving funding, reviewing contracts, drafting and reviewing joint venture and partnership agreements, assisting with private lending, and building the right corporate structure. Right Club Nation, you will recognize Carson Law. 
and his team as regular attendees and loyal supporters of our monthly meetings. They possess the perfect balance of legal experience and desire to achieve client satisfaction that ensures each deal is successfully executed in a timely manner. And by the way, even though their main office is in Burlington, they have a mobile signing service that will send a lawyer to meet with clients, which is awesome. At Carson Law, you can count on their legal advice for home, for work, and for life. Now, back to the podcast. So you have, uh, so you've, you've raised a number of really interesting points there. And one thing I want to key in on is the fact that you had to, like when you started, you were really just doing a sort of one solving the problems and then moving on to the next and solving the problems. And anyway, that's the way we all start. But you made a key point in saying that when you stepped back and you looked at everything, you realized you needed to focus looking to the future and putting a plan together. And what you're really talking about is working on your business versus working in your business and a lot of people don't get that that how important that is i mean in any business you run that's that's a key distinction between the in and the on but for real estate people we get so caught up in the everyday minutiae and it it can be overwhelming sometimes right especially when you're actually buying the property oh you know the mortgage broker wants this the bank wants that the lawyer the this the that it goes on and on and on and if you don't have help if you don't have a plan so that you can actually have the time to focus like looking forward, it makes a huge difference because as you say, if you don't realize what's happening and where you want to go and why you want to get there, you're always going to be in that vicious cycle of, oh, reacting, 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 reacting and doing one at a time. Absolutely agree. hundred percent. There's, that's a massive distinction, the working in a business versus on it. You know, a lot of us that get into real estate investing, or at least a lot of the people I've met that get into real estate investing, we often consider ourselves quite clever. And so I consider myself quite clever. And what that meant was I could back myself into a lot of corners and I could always figure out a way to get out of that corner. But the problem was that these problems would just come up and you have to be very reactionary. So I would have to drop other opportunities to go put out that fire. And while that's fine from a maintenance standpoint. I could essentially maintain my portfolio as is and definitely just being reactionary when it comes to wanting to grow past that point, past the point of just me and my business. That's where working on the business, where, you know, being much more methodical about long-term plans and documenting and systematizing my business was so important. And I think at first I initially really was reluctant to fully embrace that just in my day job, so much of my day job was documenting, systematizing processes and procedures from a financial standpoint that it felt really like work again to go back and do that for my real estate business. But, you know, anything that you're going to do more than once, I'm starting to realize it's probably a good idea to try and have a system or a practice in place just so that you're not constantly yourself having to reinvent the wheel every time. Like, how did I get myself out of this problem last time? So that's definitely been a focus ever since, since I quit my day job. Absolutely. Great advice. So there's, I'm sure people listening saying I'm, you know, at three, four five properties. I need to start making this more of a business. I need to start systemizing some of the processes and procedures. Can you give us a couple examples of some things that you've done for your business that you've seen that has exponentially helped you with the growth and the, the fact that you don't have to be managing this full time and you're still able to enjoy life as well. I'm sure based on a lot of the videos that I see you do, what are some of those processes that has helped you tremendously? Yeah. And so I'm by no means perfect. I'm constantly trying to improve myself, but high level, some of the things that have really helped me grow my business or allow my business to grow without me has been, first of all, honing in on what am I good at? What do I really enjoy? And I think for a lot of listeners, I suspect, like myself, it's going to be the deal acquisition phase. It's going to be the onboarding of the property. It's going to be finding that opportunity, figuring out its best, highest, most efficient use, and then realizing that. But for a lot of us that enjoy that, the initial, the chase of the hunt, the finding the deal, the getting it on paper and then executing, we're not necessarily the best maintenance people. We're not necessarily the best people just to maintain things or do slight, small, incremental improvements. And that's 100% true for myself. So what that meant was in the day-to-day -day operations of my real estate business, when I was just the only one operating it, rather than have a great process or procedure in place for listing a new ad for a rental, a rental unit, I would just kind of like quickly slap it together. You know, I wouldn't have templates. I wouldn't have uh, 
pre-selected photos of the absolute best condition of that unit, I would just slap it all together, throw it up on Kijiji, and I could consistently find someone to fill that vacancy. So again, it wasn't necessarily a problem where my business is failing because of myself, but all that time, all that energy to constantly reinvent the wheel where, you know, I'd probably done an ad a month before, and I could have probably built upon that as a template. So for myself, what it really came down to was utilizing some of the great free resources we have available. So things like Google Drive or Dropbox are absolutely fantastic. Just from a high level, one of the things I first did was when you're constantly looking at acquiring more properties, you have to constantly deal with the bank and update them on your current financial status. So I essentially just created a folder on Dropbox titled Banker. And that was where I put all the documents that a banker would want. So your notices of assessment in Canada, your T4s, your pay stubs, anything like that, as well as just the financial statements or documents of all my different rental properties. So I could provide it to them as well as copies of the leases or the uh, notices of tenancy to provide to uh, the banker when I'm going to qualify for a new mortgage. So that was definitely one. And then as we move more into the project management side of things, apps like Trello are absolutely fantastic just for creating checklists and different standardized operating procedures. So right now I'm in the process of handing off the day-to-day management of all my real estate to my sister. And so she doesn't come from a real estate background. She's never owned a rental property herself, but she's done business administration. So with the right framework, with the right steps and procedures and documentation, she can go and succeed at this really easily. But if I don't give her that infrastructure, if I don't give her that skeleton of the ecosystem, she's going to fail because she's not going to know where to begin. And I think that a lot of people, whenever there's a new task, we often struggle with taking on that new task because we don't see a clear path in front of us. And that's where apps like Trello allow me to really document the process and build it out into a step-by-step checklist that is ideally long-term any person can come and plug and play into my my operating procedures so that I don't have to be running my business so my business runs itself so those are some of the high level things that I would definitely recommend people check out Dropbox Google Drive Trello and then in addition just if you find yourself ever repeating a task more than once definitely more than once a month that's a task you need to start documenting and then long-term develop into a procedure or into an operating procedure so that you can just essentially set it on autopilot, whether that's yourself or long-term hiring out a manager that you can go and trust it. Because at the end of the day, I think the longer you spend in real estate or just adulthood in general, you start to realize that no one's going to care about your money as much as you. And even handing off my real estate portfolio to my sister, she may have the absolute best intentions, but if I'm not giving her the right tools, there's no way she can go. There's no way I should be able to expect her to go and succeed because I haven't set her up for success. So the biggest thing I think is whenever you bring someone onto your team, make sure you spend the time to set them up for success because I know I've made that mistake time and time again, thinking I was clever and I could just figure out a quick, easy solution. And that's not how empires are built. So. It's really interesting you say that because as you were talking about processes and bringing people on, I kept thinking of uh, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, his cash flow quadrant, right? I mean, he, he is re- he's all about real estate and building wealth through real estate. But when you look at his quadrant, the actual business of acquiring real estate is different from the wealth created by the real estate. And I think a lot of people don't get that. But you have to have the business, the system set up because ideally you want to be able to step away and have your business run. Like that's the true definition, definition of, a, of a business, of a business owner who's got everything set up, right? You can leave and it'll run smoothly because you've got all those systems set up. You've, you've thought everything through. Well, maybe not everything because nobody's perfect, but <laughs> we try, right? Absolutely. And I think that that's a problem. A lot of real estate investors, when they make the transition from full-time employment from the nine to five into working for themselves or quitting their job, what they end up often doing is they've just created a new job for themselves that's real estate rather than a business, which they can actually have run independent of themselves. I definitely made that mistake. So I'm not judging anyone that's going to make that mistake as well. But it's definitely something that with experience, you come to realize that That's not what most of us set out to do was create a new job for ourselves. Most of us set out to create a new sense of freedom and time abundance versus scarcity. So absolutely. How has real estate changed your life? I mean, you mentioned that you retired quite early. Was it 31 years old? Yeah. 
and uh, that was three years ago. So you're still quite young. How has real estate changed your life? Because it's, I'm a big believer. It's not about real estate specifically. It's about what it can do for you. And, and as Laurel says, what's your why behind it? And so what about you, Matt? Yeah. So definitely real estate had dramatic impacts on my life. Uh, the vast majority are for the better. So essentially the way I view it is I spent 31 years of my life very focused on the system and just kind of going through the motions. I feel like I was very less self-aware than I'd like to think I am today. And a lot of that just came with having more time to think, having more time to focus on self-improvement, having more time to just experiment, meet new people. And I think it, this may not translate well via the podcast, but I was talking to one of my best friends about a year, maybe a year and a half into quitting my job. I was just discussing a shift in perspective I had had towards just what is life, the meaning of life, all that. And it's not that the point I made was inherently insightful, but he took a step back and was just like, wow, I really wish I had more time to think. He's like, it's clear how much time you have to think. And it's true. It's just created this giant opportunity of white space in my life. So the more I've systematized my business, the more I've stepped outside of my business and focused working on it versus working in it, it's really allowed me just to gain much more perspective. And I personally think that the last three years have been more meaningful than the first 31 of my entire life. And that maybe sounds very cliche, but some of the reasons for that is when I was in the nine to five life, I had coworkers, but they weren't necessarily people I would choose to associate with just because they were people that I associated with because of the reasons, because of the circumstances. Whereas once I quit my job, I really had no excuse to associate with anyone that I didn't want to. And so I really started surrounding myself with like-minded individuals. I started really pushing the limits of what I considered to be inside of normal or just, you know, what's traditional. And it really allowed me to grow as an individual. And so the two most meaningful events in my life have happened in the last last year, actually. And so the first one was hosting a real estate conference here in London, Ontario. And again, it was just all the relationships. It was the fact that there was 200 plus people that had came to this event simply because of the fact that we had built a relationship online. And so when I quit my day job, that's when I started doing my YouTube channel. That's when I started doing some podcasts and just started becoming a much more social individual. So before I quit my job, I deactivated my Facebook account and was on no social media platform. After quitting it, I started to realize the value social media could bring to my real estate business. And a tangential benefit was just the benefit it gave to me as a person. It all of a sudden allowed me to really find my tribe. And so that's something that I think is really interesting in the real estate investment community in general. So often when we go out to these real estate meetups, like the Wright Club or like London on Fire here in London, Ontario, you know, it's not just that you're meeting like-minded individuals on real estate, but what I find to often occur is these people are also just focused on self-improvement, on self-development in general. And it's so refreshing versus people that are just having life happen to them versus them happening to life. So I think I started living a much more much more conscious lifestyle after I quit my job because of real estate investing. And it's just opened up tons of amazing avenues and I'm really excited to see what comes next. So, you know, for those of you that are maybe on the cusp of thinking, should I quit? Should I not quit? Maybe I've got a handful of properties and I can, I know that I'm never going to starve to death on the streets, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to live that Lex's lifestyle. Yeah. Each of us has to focus on what's important to us. But I know for myself, what's been most important is just the relationships and the people I've met and real estate investing has given me the freedom to go meet my tribe. So I highly recommend for people that are using real estate investing just as a means to create financial independence, start looking around the room more because there's a lot of other people in that room that are focused on self-development and self-improvement. I think that one point you made that was, that was really important was that, you know, you decided at the age of 31 and, and moving forward that you made significant changes. At the same time, though, that, those first 31 years were really important to what you're doing now. And I think people have to realize that it doesn't matter what, at what age you are, whether you're 21, mm -hmm. 
31 or 51 or even 61. It doesn't matter. All those years that you've lived, you can use that experience and use it as a springboard to move forward for whatever it is you want to do. It doesn't have to be real estate. I mean, we're talking about real estate right now, but if, if that's what you want to do, then those are really if, if you are self-aware, and that's, I think, the key, if you pay attention, if you think, then you can use what you've done and leverage that to make your, your real estate business really soar. And yourself. It's not just about the real estate. It's the person, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. You're, you're, you've got tons of insights. You're really living uh, a life that many of us would, uh, would love to be in your shoes. And it, I'm sure it took a lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of motivation, and so congratulations, kudos to you. And you're definitely setting the right example for a lot of people out there with the right expectations as well. Like this stuff doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to build and you've got you've to keep going year after year. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about a little bit today is your, your YouTube channel and your YouTube videos because you're getting a lot of traction from them. There's a lot of great content. How did you get into doing them and why? Yeah, so it's a story I like to share because for the longest time, I did not see the value in social media. And that being said, social media can be a drain. It can absolutely be a negative impact on people. But from my perspective, from my current perspective, at least, it's simply a tool. And like any tool, we can use that for good or for evil. We can use it for our betterment or our detriment. And so initially, I was definitely using social media to my detriment. It was just a way to compare myself to the Joneses. It was just a way to waste time. But once I quit my day job and I found myself with this new freedom, I really had a desire to try and pull some of my friends out of the rat race to try and get them to think more consciously about their finances and about their personal financial journey. My initial way to do that was to write really long emails to them, trying to explain how they could get out of the rat race, how they could retire in five years from real estate investing if they took a similar approach and were willing to embrace a similar lifestyle to myself. Those emails were really long. They were like 5,000 word emails. As you guys could likely guess, not a single person responded to those emails. (laughs) And with hindsight, I don't even blame them because it's not even like there was an index or, you know, a table of contents. It was just 5,000 words of a diatribe of a rant. So, I was starting to get frustrated by the fact that these people that I consider to be really intelligent, smart individuals weren't necessarily opening themselves up to this new information I was trying to provide them. At the time, I was reading a bunch of books, and one of the books I was reading said, speak to your audience in the language they want to be spoken to. And it just immediately clicked for me. I was like, oh, wow, the reason that people love HGTV and all these real estate shows is because real estate is such a tactile experience. It's such a physical thing. And that's why so many people prefer real estate investing over, say, paper assets. So it became very apparent that I needed to start documenting in video form to communicate to my audience, which at the time was just my buddies that I was trying to convince to quit their job. I need to communicate to them in a language that they would really understand, as well as something that they could more passively consume. Writing that 5,000-word email is great, but the thing is, Now they actually have to spend and take the time to actively read it. Whereas something like a YouTube video playing in the background while you're washing your dishes, that's something you can passively consume. It's also something you can share with a a friend or a family member that feels way less of a commitment than saying like, hey, read this novella some dude wrote in an email. So I started just kind of putting together a couple videos documenting my projects and immediately got some great feedback. One thing I would tell almost anyone that's considering getting into social media is to tamper their expectations. Uh, We live in a very now, now, now society that's focused on instant gratification and social media, while it has an amazingly fast feedback loop, it also, a lot of us just think that like, hey, if I produce this one great video or this one great post, it'll go viral and now I'll have an audience of millions to talk to. You know, I've been grinding on YouTube now for about two and a half years. It was at least a year into that journey before I started really getting any serious traction. And then recently in the last six months started really seeing the snowball effect further compound. But that being said, I think that YouTube or social media in general, and right now I think if you're looking for a way to get into social media without a major commitment, I think Instagram is probably one of the best platforms and using Instagram stories in particular. 
for the audience that maybe isn't familiar with Instagram, I would say the next best thing is just Facebook stories. You already have a built-in audience with your Facebook friends. Just post on those stories. And the reason that posting on these stories as real estate investors is so important is we often just like, we fall into that habit of being a lone wolf of just like, hey, no one else is going to do this work except for me. So I need to go do it and I need to just crank it out. And that's how I'm going to be successful. And that's great. But what happens is for most of us, at some point in time, we want to start soliciting outside investment. We want to start finding JV partners. We want to find money partners that will invest in us so that we can grow our wealth faster. We can grow our portfolio faster. And if you haven't been talking to people, if you haven't been networking, if you haven't been documenting what you're up to and you go to an investor for the first time and you just go, Hey, I need a hundred thousand dollars because this is great flip opportunity, but trust me, I've done flips before. It's really hard for that person to gain comfort around the idea of handing over a hundred thousand dollars to you because you promised that you were good at before. Whereas if they've spent the last year, even on something as simple as just watching the occasional Facebook story that you've posted, it builds just this trust. And what, what a lot of us don't realize is even on something as simple as Facebook, you can go in there, you swipe up and you can see how many people viewed it. And social media, it's just a means for us to have a one to many conversation. It's the same thing as this podcast. It's the same thing as my YouTube channel. It's the same thing that the newspaper or books did in the past. It just allows us to have a larger audience and be more effective with our time. And regardless of where you are on your real estate investing journey, at some point in time, you're going to hit a wall where you realize that your time is finite and there's only so much you can do with it. And so one of the best things you can do with that time is to try and, you know, really compound the impact your actions have. And so the larger the audience, the more people you can reach. So rather than, you know, inviting a friend over for coffee and you're going to discuss with them why they should consider handing over a hundred grand to you for this flip opportunity, why not post about it on your Instagram or your Facebook stories for a month and show the last project you did. And what happens is 20, 30, 40, eventually 500,000s of people start to see this and they start to have a one-way relationship with you. And it's been really powerful on my end when I go out to events, even like at the right club, I have people come up to me and they're like, hey, you're, you're that YouTube guy, right? <laughs> and what's great is they self-select to discuss with me. So they immediately come up to me and all they want to do is talk about what's on my YouTube channel, which is real estate, which is financial independence, which is thinking outside of the box. And so I find myself being able to speed up the velocity of my conversations, just like the importance of speeding up the velocity of my money in the past was really important. Now it's the velocity of my conversations. So rather than having that person come up to me and being like, Hey, you like the Leafs? And then we have like a random conversation for 20 minutes about sports, which I know nothing about. Instead, they self-select and come up to me and they're like, Hey, real estate, I got this crazy idea or I got this crazy opportunity or you said this one thing in this one video and I want to talk to you further about it. And I just find that so powerful being able to really speed up the relationships I have with almost anyone at this point now if they've been exposed to my social media before meeting me in real life. Absolutely. I mean, you build the credibility, you build the authority. And also now you're, you know, you're being approached by people that are interested in either working with you, joint venturing with you, or even potentially has it helped with OREC as well, because you're, you, you're doing an amazing job promoting it. I'm seeing it on Instagram as well. How has the YouTube channel helped with your OREC conferences? Yeah. So for those of your audience that aren't familiar, uh, myself and my business partner, Jeff Weibold, last year. Uh, hosted a real estate conference called OREC, the Ontario Real Estate Conference. Somehow no one had taken that name at that point. So we <laughs> said, hey, that sounds simple. Let's do it. And the crazy thing is we had never hosted a large event before. We had hosted multiple meetups in our city of London, Ontario, but we had never really tried to plant the flag and host an event bigger than just our direct social network. So we attended Rain's Acre event last year. I was really inspired. It was one of the best real estate events I'd been to up until that point. And yet at the same time, one of the main weaknesses I saw in Rain was they essentially pretend like the province of Ontario ends at Kitchener, that there's nothing west of Kitchener. I was like, hey, there's millions of us over here and we're doing some cool shit. So with 75 days, myself and Jeff announced the Ontario Real Estate Conference, which didn't exist. We kind of made a joke on the first day on the main stage. I was like, thank you guys for all attending because up until this moment, it was a complete con because it didn't exist. 
And there's no way we would have been able to con 200 people into attending a real estate conference if they hadn't been following along on my YouTube channel, on Jeff's Instagram, and just learning more about us. And again, it was just, you know, yes, we could have individually went up and met with all 200 people and tried to solicit them to come to our real estate conference, but we would have had no time to plan a real estate conference in that circumstance. So it just, it really allowed us to magnify our actions. And this year now is year two of OREC, which is coming up. And again, it's been so much easier now just because we have that momentum because we took that action. But to me, again, it, it comes down to this thing. A lot of people get caught up in trying to be perfect. And so we see this in real estate investing where they get stuck in that analysis paralysis where they just ran the numbers again and again and again. And I see the same thing with people that are thinking about doing social media. They're thinking about starting a podcast. They're thinking about starting a YouTube channel. And the reason that they're still thinking is usually because they want to do it perfect. Just like in real estate, they want that first deal to go absolutely perfect. That's not how real estate investing works. And I recommend to most people that are looking to get started in real estate investing, just make sure you understand what your downside is. Try and mitigate that. And otherwise, look at that first deal as really, you know, tuition. It's the school of hard knocks. You're going to learn a lot through that experience. And don't try and just have a perfect deal the first time because there's no such thing. And the same thing comes true with social media. Don't try and have the perfect Instagram selfie. Don't try and have the perfect YouTube video that's going to go viral and it's your very first video. Because honestly, even if you create the perfect video, you're not going to have an audience. They're not going to share it. It's not going to get that widespread attention most likely. It's much better just to start and slowly start improving through those, those small iterations, right? It, I've started to really realize that all of life is just us building upon the previous steps we took. And so if you're thinking about starting real estate, if you're thinking about starting social media, I would recommend you just go do it and give yourself permission to fail because no one else will, but it's important to just go fail forward. Absolutely. Great, great advice. So Matt, it is now time for our lightning round. Are you ready? Awesome. I'm ready. It's now time for the lightning round. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Daniel St. John. Do you think using other people's money is a strategy for other people? Not you? At Safe and Sound Real Estate Investment Group, Daniel's been teaching people just like you how to use other people's money for almost 10 years. To find out more, go to www.sasrig.com. That's www.sasreig.com. And download your free copy of the special report, Arms Length RSP Mortgages, Canada's Best Cap Investment Secret. You'll be amazed at how you can leverage other people's money to help you finance as many real estate deals as you want all right so here we go question number one Matt what is the best advice that you've ever received from another investor or at a networking event so the best advice I've ever received is you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with it's just so true we all living beings are their environment so you are your environment and the people you surround yourself with are a big part of that environment. So Gary Vee's talked about it in 2019, drop a loser friend. I think it's really important that we all embrace that idea that if the people with you aren't pulling you forward, if they're not propelling you forward, then odds are they're probably holding you back. And it's important that you at least realize that. You don't necessarily have to drop that friend, but you need to realize that you're creating more friction in your life. Absolutely, very well said. Okay, so question number two, what is your favorite real estate or what are your favorite real estate investing resources or resource? My favorite real estate investing resource is simply your local REI. So your local real estate investment meetup group, that is the best thing. If there's not one in your community like Right Club or like London on Fire, go create one, plant that flag. Because once you start surrounding yourself with real people in real life that are taking action, it becomes so much easier to go take action yourself. And then the second one is, especially if you find yourself in more remote parts of uh, North America, the Bigger Pockets podcast, it was the first real estate podcast I got exposed to. And again, it just opened up a wealth of information. The same way that networking or being on a podcast allows me to have a lot of conversations in a short period of time. The same thing is true as a consumer of content. So like go and binge all the Right Club podcasts, go and binge all the London on Fire podcasts, go and binge all the Bigger Pockets podcasts because these are all experts that are hand selected 
they are then trying to distill down a lifetime of experiences into a quick one or two hour synopsis. Absolutely. I would say those two are probably up there with my favorite resources as well and has allowed me to be where I am today because without that specific podcast, the Bigger Pockets podcast, which is really inspiring. However, it is American, so there's some a few differences. And mm-hmm. the fact that we started networking and I used to meet, this is how you meet others that are similar and then you bounce off ideas off each other. It's absolutely incredible how quickly you can grow doing those two things and then taking action for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Number three, Matt, what is the one attribute that has made you most successful? I think the one attribute that's made me most successful and that I'm really trying to focus on in the future is just being open to new information and constantly focused on growing. And so it's taken me a long time to realize this, but I think all of life is just a growing experience. And so you're either growing or dying in my opinion. And so constantly being open to new information and trying to analyze it in an unemotional way is something I'm constantly striving to improve upon. But that being said, I still think that the little bit that I've been able to already execute on that got me to this point. So for me, it's really just being open to new information, constantly learning, and not thinking that you need to be a lone wolf in this, in your human exp- in your own personal human experience, whatever that looks like, whether as a real estate investor, a social media influencer, or just trying to do the best at your nine to five. Absolutely. Great. Isn't that the law of entropy? And I really believe in it. The universe says you either grow, you live, you expand, or you shrink and you die and you disappear. There's, there's only two states. You can't stay the same. So that's a really good point. Okay. The final question then. It's Sunday morning. What are you doing? Uh, well, other than just doing a podcast, <laughs> the weird thing is once I quit the nine to five, my what a day looks like doesn't, they all blend at this point. So essentially, I don't have a typical Sunday, but what this Sunday looked like was got up at, I think like seven or 8 a.m., did some correspondence for an hour or two, had like a bath, jumped on this podcast. Later this afternoon, there'll be a couple different meetings. We're doing a lot of prep work leading up to OREC. So I often find myself these days focused on one or two main projects and just trying to hone in on doing the biggest, most important tasks on those projects and then delegating the rest to my my team. So yeah, Sunday's just another day for me. Mondays, we do a, a full team meeting where everyone comes to our HQ, meet up with them and try and do tasks for the day. So I spend a lot of Sunday evening just kind of mentally prepping for whatever talk I'm going to give as well as uh, what tasks we need to chunk out for this week and tackle. So that was a very unsatisfying answer. I no, it's like. awesome. You're, the truth. you're living the life. And the HQ, is that the mansion? Yeah. So that's the mansion. So for some people that have followed me at the start of my journey, living in a mansion might seem really different now. And it is, but at the same time, we're still house hacking. So my full-time cameraman, Peter, lives in this house with me. One of our wholesalers, Dylan McLaughlin, also lives in this house with me. And then we host all kinds of meetups, events, seminars, masterminds, and all my own business functions are all run out of this house. I just, at this point in time, I really like to blur the lines between work and play. I certainly understand those that look to find a work-life balance, but my solution has just been to make work life and life work. Very cool. That is good. And you're living the life and kudos to you. So Matt, where can listeners find you? Where can the Right Club Nation talk to you, know more about you? Where can they go? So my number one ask would be go find me on YouTube. So it's Matt McKeever. That's M-C-K-E-E-V-E-R. Find me on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. If you like some of my videos, smash the like button, all that good stuff. Beyond that, you can find me on Instagram, Matt McKeever 85 there. You can hit me up on Facebook. Sometimes stuff gets lost in the ether though on Facebook. And otherwise, we host all kinds of meetups here in London, Ontario. So you can go on meetup.com or Facebook and just search London, Ontario Financial Independence, and you'll definitely find a bunch of our meetup groups. Excellent. And Matt, any last words of advice for the Right Club Nation? My advice is just like, take action, get out there. If you're within driving distance of the Right Club monthly meetups, like get your ass in the car, get there, be in attendance, and then make the most of it. So Don't just always sit beside the person you came with, right? Like 
myself and Jeff Weibel love to talk about the law of mobility. So I guess my number one tip for everyone would be embrace the law of mobility. And what that looks like to us is if you find yourself in a conversation or a situation where you're not learning something, you're not making money or you're not teaching something, I give you permission just to get out of that situation. Go find a situation where you can learn, where you can teach or where you can make money. Because that to me are the three biggest ways that we're adding value to society. There you go. Learn, teach, and go make money. Thank you so much, Matt, for being on our podcast. You were a great guest. We really enjoy having you out at our regular Right Club events. And guys, if you want to come and meet Matt, come out to the Right Club. If you haven't been there, Matt has become a regular. So has Jeff Weibo and, uh, and your crew. So thank you so much for your great insight. Awesome. Thanks, guys. And if you're looking for me at the Right Club, bright red jacket, you can't miss us. Yeah, you're, we cannot miss you. You stand out. Absolutely. Bright red. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so Laurel. much, guys. Wow, Laurel. That was awesome. It was awesome to have Matt on the show. It was also great to co-host with you as well. What is your one takeaway, if you had to pick just one that Matt mentioned? Oh, you know what? Because I'm working on this right now with systems. That really resonated with me. I'm working on increasing, well, actually creating <laughs> and uh, improving systems in many different aspects of um, my business and our different businesses because they're critical. Absolutely. He's got so many great insights. I mean, I could talk to Matt on and on and on. I mean, we barely scratched the surface on even the birth strategy and how he got to where he is. But one of the things I really like about him is he's built such a great brand, a great following on social media. And that's allowed him to open up some doors for working with some joint venture partners for working, creating OREC and making it successful. And so, you know, it is really cool for us because that's one of the things that we're trying to do as well for the right club and, uh, and, and podcasting definitely is one of them, but also at some point, you know, we want to look into different ways that we can, uh, we can even improve the social media. And actually we've, uh, we're working on hiring somebody for our social yeah. media, right, Laurel? We are indeed. Stay tuned. <laughs> for uh, those of you who come in to follow us with the right club. Yes. We're, we're working on our social media strategy and setting up systems and getting other people to do it, which is great. <laughs> Delegation. Absolutely. So with that said, guys, I really hope that you enjoyed this interview with Matt McKeever if you think that we deserve it, I would love to, and I'm sure Laurel as well, would love to have your reviews, your ratings. If you wouldn't mind subscribing to the podcast, I mean, we do this for, for you guys out there. And the more that we can get reviews and ratings, the more that our podcast can be visible to others. So thank you for all of those that have already gone ahead and done that. If you haven't yet, if you could take two seconds to do that, that would be amazing as well. And other than that, guys, if you haven't come out to the right club, Yet, please feel free to reach out to us and uh, your first ticket is on us. You can email me at sarah at therightclub.com or laurel at therightclub.com and let us know that you haven't been out yet and we will get you set up with our next event. So yeah, on that note, to see you. absolutely, we would love to have you out. So on that note, Laurel, thank you so much for co-hosting with me and, uh, and guys, Right Club Nation, see you next week. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.